1: Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to The Future of Entrepreneurship, of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's episode is a rerun of one of my absolute favorite interviews I've, I've ever done. It's uh, my conversation with Kenny and Keith Lucas, aka the Lucas Brothers, which, uh, which took place about two or so years ago. It's an unusual episode, partly because they, they, they chose a joke they were still working on. And they they did the interview partly because they thought it helped them work on the joke, and also, um, their voices are like the same voice, um, and they kind of are into the fact that you can't tell the difference, and I and I love it. It's like by far the headiest conversation I probably have had in my entire life. Um, the brothers have yet to shoot the hour that the joke we do play is a part of, partly because you know, the pandemic, and partly, they've just been so busy. Within the last year, it was announced they are rebooting The Revenge of the Nerds, are developing a comedy with Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and they have a story by and co-producing credit on Judas and the Black Messiah, the story of Black Panther leader Fred Hampton, which comes out this weekend and is getting some serious award season buzz. So, here are the Lucas Brothers.
3: Oh, how you guys doing, Philly? <laughs> <good. You> <laughs> Uh, the last leg of our tour, and we wanted to do it in Philly because we love you, motherfuckers. Oh yeah, so hey, you guys are great. All right. All right. You guys are fantastic. Uh, I am pandering a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> we gotta do what we gotta do. Uh, how many people in here are familiar with the, the book A History of Western Philosophy? Raise your hands. Raise your hand History of Western Philosophy. You studied <laughs> it? You studied it? Yeah. You know the book. You to, oh, right. 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 Oh, right. right. no, the spot! <laughs> not at all, but I have to. Yeah. Alright, what, what's chapter 5 about? <laughs> right, we'll talk about it later. But look, you know, this is a great book. Uh, uh, it got me through my divorce. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah that's it did. He was married to the streets. That's right. <laughs> it was a bitter divorce. Force. A bitter divorce. Streets kept calling.
0: It gets annoying, man.
3: Yeah? Look, we love Virgin. We love Virgin. We live by a lot of the quotes that he laid down. That's right. Uh, one of the quotes he said, and I quote, and he quotes. <laughs> Life's the bitch, and then you die. That's right. That's why we get high. <laughs> Because you never know where you're going to go.
2: That's right. All right. We are here with the comedians behind the joke you just heard, uh, the Lucas brothers, Keith and Kenny. Lucas, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, man. So I think a good place to start for the listeners is... uh, which one is Keith and which is?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure they won't be able to tell the difference. They <laughs> might be able I, to. They might they be able to. to. If they listen closely, I think yeah, they, can, yeah. they can distinguish it too. I, I'm Kenny and I'm Keith, but how does that help them? <laughs> I don't <know> <laughs> well, I wanna, I, uh, I was wondering, like, how do you feel
2: about that people listening won't be able to necessarily tell the difference and has your feeling about things like that That's a great,
3: a great question. I, I believe that uh, in our current process in comedy, what we're trying to do is sort of shed the ego and fully embrace the concept of the Lucas Bros. I know that sounds weird, but, I, I, you know, look, I, I've been Kenny for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny hasn't accomplished much. much. He's failed, mostly. Uh, but the Lucas Bros have been very—not su- very successful, <laughs> but successful— Successful enough, and I, and I like being a Lucas bro, and I, I I I I am honored by that as my identity. Yeah, I mean, like, what's what's in a name? You know, <laughs> names, I don't know, names are names. I didn't even get to choose my name, ultimately. So it's like, I like the idea of just sort of being a, an entity and being a brotherhood and, and focusing more on that concept and making sure that that speaks to our identity. Have you seen The Prestige? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! All right, cool. Because I was, uh, I had to spoil it for the producer
2: (laughs) before. Because like, just so you know, this is the ending of the Prestige. (laughs) So um, for those who haven't seen the Prestige, um, I will ruin what happens. The (laughs) reveal at the end is that Christian Bale is actually a set of identical twins, Mm -hmm. and that allows him to pull off this trick that Hugh Jackman um, goes to incredible lengths to try to pull off. And it's this metaphor for um, the sacrifice necessary to be artists. Mm. And as you said, you you are the Lucas Brothers as an entity. You also share social media handles. Mm-hmm. I've emailed with one of you. I don't know <laughs> which. <laughs> uh, maybe it was both. I feel like when I remember, we lived in Greenpoint at the same time. Yeah, And we I, did. you guys were like the Lucas Brothers, even unrelated to you guys. Being yeah, yeah. How does it or does it not feel that
3: way? Like the prestige? You certainly make a sacrifice for the art in maintaining a an an identity that uh, ignores your individual self i mean in that respect it's very similar to the prestige but I, i would say that uh we don't shy away from it you know like we fully embrace the fact that we are we are identical twins and on some level it It helps us in our career, but more importantly, it helps us mentally and emotionally. Uh, I have my best friend with me at all times. Mm -hmm. When I travel, I I have my best friend, and we talk about comedy, and we philosophize about comedy, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, and it's also a person there to sort of check you Mm -hmm. if you, if you're fucking up or if you're messing up. There's always just like you have that. That stabilizing force. So we've sort of decided to embrace the the yeah. concept and, and make it a shared philosophy. You know, take it to its logical yeah. conclusion. We're identical twins. We and look the same. We look the same. It we talk, talk what it is. very similarly. <laughs> we dress alike. And let's <laughs> see where it goes. This is what this is what God intended. That's yeah. right. <laughs>
2: As we get into sort of the process of the writing, I want to back up a little bit. So you're both in your third year of law school, and you're mm-hmm. both flirting with comedy at different degrees. You're not. Uh, you went to different schools, and I believe it was Kenny was pushing to do stand up, yeah anymore. yeah, and you found a video of the Scar Brothers, mm-hmm. and it was a bit of a light bulb, and you sent it to Keith and it seemed to be the same thing that's right what, what did you what did you see?
3: Well, I saw their uh, bit about uh dice clay, I believe <laughs> mm-hmm. which i, 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 I felt <laughs> that's the one was, you sent to me, yeah, yeah, and I thought it was very funny, but what what I was really taken with was uh their Their camaraderie and their timing and their ability to deliver a joke at the same time and just their technique. I was, I was very floored by their technique mm-hmm. and it, a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, I, I, I think we can do that. I mean, maybe not as well, but I, I do believe that. It can be done. It was it can like, be done. Uh, yeah, being able to, we make this joke like they're the Jackie Robinson of, uh, <laughs> of twin comedy. You know, they're sort of like, they're like, oh, we can do this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like, there was that, and when he sent it to me, that's what I thought. I was like, holy shit, like, it can be done. Because, uh, you know, we grew up, watching stand-ups as uh, individuals yeah. yeah it was chris rock it was dave Chappelle, it was it was martin it was these otherworldly figures that are like oh you got to be this transcendent individual black guy or <laughs> jewish dude or woman you got to be this person who's just like yeah tran- like roseanne you got to be a person who just transcends the form in order for us to do stand-up in a, in the most authentic way uh that was most representative and most reflective of our actual lives it felt necessary for us to stand on stage together.
2: What they partly represent is, you know, the comedy duos had a form, and there's there's a, a straight man and a course, the other course. person. And um, the Scarlet brothers don't necessarily. They mm-hmm. sort of do an act. And even outside of twins, I think in the last 20 years, you see more duos that are coming from the same perspective. I feel like the Broad City girls, though they are not a disco oh, yeah, twins, you're not like, oh, one person is this. But I think Intra-group, there tends to probably be some sort of dynamic. Is there roles do you feel like intentionally or unintentionally you find <laughs> yourself writing in? And then does that reflect what yeah. you guys do off stage?
3: When we initially started, I would say Kenny sort of uh, handled most of the, you would say the transitions. Yeah, the transitions, transitions the organization of the set, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, getting into particular bits mm-hmm. where Keith would punch it home or tag um, or interrupt or disrupt or disrupt, interrupt yeah. or disrupt. <laughs> uh i was i tended i tended to be more rigid mm-hmm. and keith was more chaotic mm-hmm. uh but it, it, it provided for a healthy balance now um you can't tell the difference yeah. sometimes <laughs> yeah, 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 i set up sometimes yeah. he sets up sometimes it's more it's up. much more free form yeah i mean we're allowing each other to to say whatever we wanna say it's uh I would say it's definitely more freedom in, in what we're doing now. When when we first started, it was just just way too rigid.
2: I guess the, the sort of dual question is one, how how do you even determine who says which part of which thing? Hmm. You know, like in this joke, there's there's no real reason why one person would say one part of the other. There's no like there's just sort of one person who hypothetically this book got them out of the divorce, their their <laughs> divorce from the streets, yeah, and the other yeah. person who's like, Yes it did. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Is that just sort of like how ha- how do you sort of assign that when you? Well,
3: for this particular joke, I was married, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're sort of making a loose reference to that. Uh, so I would have to say, you would, know, yeah, you know, I would have to do the, the I was married. Yeah, it yeah. got me through my divorce. But and then I would, I would, you know, yeah. But for other bits, I mean, it depends on. Where it lands, I yeah. mean, sometimes in a show, uh, we may get mixed up, and I may have to, <laughs> you know, do a punchline, and once that happens, Keith yeah. has to do, do the, the setup, or, mm. or I might forget a punchline, and then he has to come in and, and say it, and then I have to, you know, set up, so it's all just a matter of where it's falling on or how it's flowing. Yeah, yeah. so
2: at this point, you... You both know both you're both oh, each yeah. other's understanding. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, both yeah. each other's understanding. <laughs> Absolutely. We <laughs> have yeah, that's to right. be. Because
3: you might exactly drop the ball is. one yeah, day. Yeah. You need somebody to pick. I you drop you up. the ball all the time. Same here. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> all the
2: time. How could you not drop the ball? <laughs> so for this joke, before we get to the sort of the the larger significance of sort of how this relates to what you're doing now, your act. I just want to sort of talk about how you start being like this is the material, you know, like mm-hmm. besides the sort of comedians who are like, well this happened to me and that was crazy, so now I can talk it on stage. Mm-hmm. This is a joke that is partly idea driven. You know, what was sort of the process of like, this is a thing that maybe one of you was thinking about or talking about to like, oh, this is a thing we should talk about on stage and sort of just the the before even writing it, how do you get to the point where we should write about it?
3: We've been ever since we started studying philosophy, I'd say We've, we've talked about some of the ideas that we're exploring now in our, our special. The goal was to try to you know, become as good as we can get at stand-ups before we were able to speak on themes mm-hmm. of death and, and themes of, uh, of evidence and trying to figure out our, what our philosophy is on life. We wanted to be more uh, <clears throat> reflective and philosophical in our stand-up. And I, I read this quote from, I believe it was uh, Wittgenstein, who said that a good piece of philosophy can be written uh, or can consist entirely of jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I, <laughs> I, I think we can try to make arguments with our comedy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about what was happening in our lives, which at the time, you know, we were dealing with, you know, drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol and the chase of fame and, All those things that just sort of detracted us from our path as amateur philosophers. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think we wanted to get back on track. Yeah. And that's what sort of motivated us to construct our special in a way that uh, reflected that. How did sort of this version of this joke come to... Life's a bitch and then you die? Yeah, uh, I mean, we so we grew up on... Uh, Illmatic and Mm -hmm. 90s hip-hop, and it's had a deep impact on just shaping our what our general philosophy is. And that song in particular, uh, uh, and that lyric in particular, I think, was sort of encapsulated a lot of what we were trying to unpack with with our specials. So, you know, Life's a Bitch then you die. It's very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you respond to nihilism? Well, you can either kill yourself or you get high. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we say, okay, let's just get high because you never know when you're going to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, I think that that lyric alone sort of embodies the themes that we're trying to yeah. to, to get like, at. We, we want to transition. Ideally, we like to transition from nihilism to um idealism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some sort of spiritual idealism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, how do you get there logically, or do you even need logic to Mm. get there? Like that's that's where we're at. Like perhaps we were over relying on logic, and perhaps we were over relying on reason, and maybe that took us away from the spiritual. Yeah.
2: On sort of on a basic level, what is sort of when what is writing for you? You know, like a comedian. I mean, it can range, but you know, a lot of comedians, especially that are as experienced as you guys now, would be like, oh, I have an idea. I'll go on stage with the idea Mm -hmm. and talk about it for three months until it's done. What do you guys do now, considering that you both have to <laughs> talk and not step up for each other?
3: Honestly, a lot of it's been just conceptualizing. It's yeah. not so much about getting on stage. It's, it's more about like, I mean, you got to get on stage, obviously. Yeah, you yeah. have to get on stage eventually. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's like, we need to conceptualize the whole piece. We want to see mm-hmm. every angle. We want to understand the thematic parts. We want to understand the philosophical stakes. We want to understand the emotional stakes. We want to see it through its end. And then we, once we understand the full piece, then we start plugging in what we need. Right? Yeah, and then we start working on individual bits and yep. and, and trying to fine tune it. That's right. Is this written out exactly as it's done? Like, is it literally
2: written down? Is there yeah? A piece of paper? We
3: we've written a script for our next special. It's roughly sixty pages, and we try to adhere to it word for word. But sometimes we you deviate. It, yeah, like, yeah, you know it happens.
2: That's that's interesting because there's a section I want to ask you about. I believe it goes, this is a great book. It got me through the divorce. Mm-hmm. That's right. It really did. He was married to the streets. Yeah. You know, there's a version of that joke, maybe not told by you, but you that could just be like, oh, it's a great book. It got me through the divorce. Mm-hmm. He was married. Like a shorter version of that joke. Sure. What is rhythmically or comedically
3: the value of the that's right? It really Like the sort of the parts that are. That's a great question. I, I think my brother and I. Uh, we really strive for our set to feel conversational. Mm-hmm. And when we add in those little asides where we're talking to one another or where we're sort of like interjecting interjecting, sort of, you know, that's right or yes, kind the of improv. Yeah. It yeah. makes it feel more conversational. It makes we let the audience in a little bit. You know, we show that perhaps we're struggling with the concept or we're thinking about the concept mm-hmm. as we deliver it, yeah. And I think that that uh, I mean it makes the film more in the moment too. You know, this person's aware. I mean, like acutely listening to to his his bro- brother or his partner on stage, yeah. Yet. But also sometimes I'm really just listening. You know, sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, where, where, where is he going? That's right. Sometimes I don't know where he's going. I do go rogue every <laughs> once in a while, and I, it requires Keith to pay very close attention. How much then are you
2: editing based on reaction, or for the most part, you just sort of keep stick to what you're intending to you know like uh, once you what is your the next step of writing as a comedian is how mm-hmm. people
3: respond you know we'll have the jokes written out and then we'll try them and then based on uh some sort of reaction we can adjust uh our set and we always adjust we're always listening to the audience to see what i mean because sometimes the audience might throw out a throw out a punchline yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. Funny punchline. <laughs> it's happened yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the, uh, what it was uh, the joke? we were in new york we were doing uh Better, Better days, days uh, PD show, PD mm. show, and we were struggling with uh, a line for a particular joke, and then we sort of like pulled the audience, <laughs> and then the, one audience, uh, he was one dressed member, like a cowboy, yeah, yeah, he, and he was like, so he just said tracking, and he was like, that's it, that's it, it's tracking, that's the line, yeah, and yeah. it's been crushing ever since, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got to keep your ears and your eyes open to the streets, man, because you know the people, the people know, the people know. Has this joke changed much? It's gotten to be more relevant as a result of kevin's death Mm -hmm. and uh it's become more like now the words feel like they matter Mm -hmm. before we would say life's a bitch and then you die uh that's why we get high because you never know when you're gonna go we we said it sort of flippantly but with kevin's death it's like oh no that shit's true Mm -hmm. man like you could be alive and then you could be dead Mm -hmm. And 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 that struggle with life or death would make anyone want to turn to some sort of narcotic or some, or alcohol or uh, and and for us we really want to say you don't have to do those things regardless mm. of the existential uh, gravity of life or death you can you can. Get high on off life. (laughs) I'm sorry I said it, Uh, but yeah, you can, man. Like you could, you could find things that can supplement, you know, that void. The streets, as you as you (laughs) said, is a it's a
2: recurring theme in your work. Oh yeah. Uh,
3: What it is about this? What is streets? Streets, man. man. What is it? I mean, you ever been to Newark, New Jersey? I, I have no idea. It might have been, but I'm I'm, well, I'm not spent you, a lot of time. If to. you ever been to Newark, New Jersey, then I think you will fully understand the concept of the streets. I <laughs> mean, it's, uh, it's, it's two societies, mm-hmm. man. Like you have regular society, mm-hmm. and then you have the street. <laughs> That's right. And and and, and, and it's perfect. It's, imp- it's perfectly encapsulated in Newark, I think, because you have like you know decent decent upstanding, human, in middle class, class yeah. and then you have just like just Hood violence and chaos. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you got to sort of, how do you hold that together? Hood then, niggas don't care about, like, they're, they're the hardest to make laugh. You yeah. know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I don't know. They are. I don't are, know. They, don't know. they, they it, could be the funniest though. Yes. Because they don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah but yeah. the streets is just like, it's a concept where it's like, oh, it's like, you don't give a fuck about the rules, but they have their own rules. It's a, it's like, it's a contradiction almost. Yeah. It's a family, but they hate each other. Yeah, it's uh, a, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the devil, but it's God. It's 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 all there, and it's yeah. it's it's, uh, it's scary sometimes because anything can happen. Yeah.
2: Is it is it a thing that is important for you y'all to stay in touch with?
3: Oh yeah, because <laughs> we still got people out there, man. Yeah, my dad, yeah. my, my my little brother's out there on those streets. You know what I mean? Like he, you know what I mean. He just got arrested. You know what I mean? So shit happens there all the time, and we still have a connection there. And we're gonna mm-hmm. always have a connection there because our yeah. family's there. And uh, yeah, it's wild, but it becomes this like uh, very difficult situation where you're constantly questioning whether or not your comedy adheres to the rules of the streets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, d- do they watch Jimmy Fallon on the streets? <laughs> I don't think they. I don't, I don't, I don't think they, do. they watch the Jimmy Fallon. Maybe they. Are, maybe, maybe they maybe maybe do. The hood, I think the hood watches Jimmy Fallon. But it's a, it, it's a larger question about you know. Being black and and whether or not you're being authentically black or if you're being white, well, some people would argue that, be, like, coming from where we come from, that's not the authentic version. Sure. And I would respectfully disagree. I mean, I think I think anybody with black skin is is, is living an authentic black life because you can't you don't really have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, whatever. It, it becomes too metaphysical.
2: I I feel like actually we, we did a story, but like you guys are of a generation of comedians that I think is carving out what that means to hmm. be a black comedian. What like There's there's black comedy. Like There is a comedy scene that is defined by being black. There are mm-hmm. black rooms. Yeah. That, while, and there had always been black comedians who not existed to it. But you come from a, a group of people that I feel like, I don't know if you set out to do it or just a sort of timing thing or if it's a generational thing, hmm. that all at the same time is like a bunch of people that – seek to redefine that or just sure. push the boundaries of it
3: i mean the way i think like you know people forget man Like even if you're in the hood like you're still getting the same tv shows yeah you know what i mean like you're still watching the same stuff as the dudes in the suburbs you're still sort of like the culture is almost still kind of the same i mean it's like it's It's strange how we got the Animaniacs, we got Power Rangers, we got these things, and that shit influenced us, and it influenced our comedy, and it allowed us to connect to people outside of where we were from. Yeah. I mean, that's the impact of TV. And and, I've I've always felt, not always, but early on in my comedy career, and also in my uh, development as a philosopher and a law student, I felt as though the boxes drawn by Hollywood mm -hmm. They're very rigid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's almost like they wanna put people in a box and say, if you're black, you gotta perform here. If you're white, you gotta perform there. If you're a woman, you gotta perform in front of women. And I'm like, I don't believe comedy (laughs) was designed to be fragmented. Absolutely not. You know, I I see it as a whole. I think that a funny woman can be funny in front of whomever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a funny white guy can be funny. In front of whomever, and 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 I think that there's a universal nature embedded in uh, the structure of jokes Absolutely. and the logic of jokes that uh, makes it race neutral. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. there I, I talk about references a good amount on the show, and you know, there's you, you know, a reference can be inclusive to the people that understand it, and it's exclusive hypothetically to the people who don't. And there's a version of this joke that would be broader or hackier where you then, you know, you add a tag. It's like, but isn't it Nas who said that or whatever? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that is an option to let more people in. What do you like about how it stands where it's like there's some people who will be like, they'll get that it's a contrast, and obviously Mm -hmm. this philosopher didn't say it, but there's people that will get it more.
3: No, it's funny you say that because we've struggled, not struggled, but we've had some issues with eliciting laughs Laughs, laughs from the idea uh in part because you know you you have you have, a, you have a, an inclination to want to go that hacky route yeah. and say oh wait this is nice and we've done that mm-hmm. but now we're like well maybe we should do something different so what we did is we created a powerpoint mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a picture a of a bertrand uh Similar superimposed super on uh, Nas's album. Got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the punchline is actually shown. It's Our buddy vision. Mookie uh, put it together, but Kenny had the concept, and we we yeah. I think I was that, like that a visualization that's... of it completes the joke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, if people can see Perch and Russell in that format uh, where he looks like he's Nas, I mean that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna always get a laugh. <laughs> yeah, it'll get a chuckle at least. So yeah, we, yeah. So that was more setup and. It's like, yeah, we were trying to, we've been trying to, that's why we wanted to choose that because we we were trying to figure out the punchline and uh, I think we, I think we figured it out today. I think we figured it out oh, I mean, okay. it yesterday. Oh, literally it was yesterday? Yeah, literally it was <laughs> yesterday. We'll see, we'll see if it, it gets a laugh, but I think that that's the punchline.
2: I've heard you guys talk about how uh, you essentially go to couples therapy together or <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, that you're the story they say was that you're going separately to the same yeah. person talking about the exact same thing. <laughs> um, but i I think it's really interesting. and i and I feel like writing partners in general should go to couple. I also think Agreed. everyone should go to um how
3: has it changed your comedy? Well, we've you know, we've been like we we used to think that, you know, we didn't have any secrets between us. like yeah, yeah. this was just like, we knew everything about each other and, and yada yada yada. But once we went to therapy, we realized, oh shit, you know, there are some things He knows that, my favorite porn uh yeah, exactly. Now. Yeah, I know his favorite porn actor. <laughs> I know like I know some things that he he, he 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 did that I didn't know before and he knows some shit that I so like it's made us more open and more transparent, I think. Yeah. Uh and I don't know, those the therapists have a way of like asking the right questions to get you to talk about shit that you normally wouldn't talk about in front of people. So I think it allowed. Like, us, like I cried in front of Keith. Yeah, and, and I think and and how that impacts our comedy is uh, well we're we're just more transparent. Mm-hmm. Like I'll tell him if I think a joke sucks, mm-hmm. and he'll tell me if he thinks it's funny, and and rather than getting into vicious fights or <laughs> not talking to one another for two days. We were like, okay, uh, let's go talk to our therapist mm-hmm. and, and see why we have these. <laughs> yeah, disagreements. it's like a we figured out a better way to communicate with one another, and I think that that's the like the, the importance of any sort of team. You know, you got to learn how to communicate with one yeah, another. Sure. You got to learn how to communicate your frustrations and communicate your praises. You know what I mean? So it, I didn't, I never learned that. I never learned how to do it with Kenny. I, we, I sort of just saw him as an extension of me. Yeah. So it's if like, I was mad at myself, i would just be mad at him and not see him as an individual. Yeah. But in therapy, she, you know, she sort of encouraged us to like, look at each other as individuals. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we're an entity, we're a team and all that jazz, but he's still an individual with his own feelings and Mm -hmm. emotions. And like, being able to communicate my thoughts now, I think has made our... You're a much better communicator. Yeah. I think it's made our (laughs) comedy a lot lot, uh, stronger.
2: Let's say there was a joke or there's a part of here that one liked and the other one didn't. What is the sort of process of determining if it can stay in or if it
3: like we 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 let that we we go by the evidence that's right you know what what joke gets the laughs yeah. you know like if a joke ain't hitting and and it's just like bringing down the set mm-hmm. and it, it gets chucked i mean yeah. it, we, we try not to play favorites mm-hmm. you know we, we try to keep it very very democratic and, right. and scientific and that it, that's that's the fairest way really you know you can go in with a bias with a joke because you know you, you, you i think all my jokes are great yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> you know? the people are going to speak and they're yeah. going to laugh and they're going to make the decision for you yeah. So it makes our process a lot easier people don't know how to react when no. <laughs> they see twins no they go crazy like we were in the supermarket looking for some jello. Yep. And we were just about to pick it out and then some dude came out of nowhere and he was like, yo, you guys have a stick of double mint gum? <laughs> that's, a, that's what he said. <laughs> now, now I know that sounds like an innocent question to most people, <laughs> but to twins it's mad disrespect. Absolutely. So we were about to check this nigga. <laughs> And I think that he saw that we were angry so he tried to like calm the situation down. He was like, yo, I'm I'm sorry if I offended you guys. It's just in the commercials, twins always have gum. Those double gum commercials, they have gum. So I figured you two guys had a stick. Like that's shitty logic. Yeah. (laughs) And why is this dude taking commercials so seriously? (laughs) Like he do that with everything. You know what I mean, like, Does it go up to quirky white women and ask for progressive insurance? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Right. You, should you should try another one? Let's all right. try another right. one. Does it go up to white babies and ask for E-Trade stock advice? <laughs> huh. So I was going to ask you
2: about having the same comedic point of view or the same sense of humor, uh, but since we're about to talk about philosophy more, I, I want to talk uh, ask a, a slightly elevated version of the question. So, my partner went to law school and she told me about um, a version of, I guess, postmodern contract theory, mm-hmm. which is uh, the meeting of the minds. Have you heard of this? The meeting of the minds concept? Yeah. 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 All right, cool. I then I've learned, bastardized it to talk about comedy, mm-hmm. which is essentially, for those who don't know, it's a, a, a contract is uh, both parties have a shared, the, the hope is that both parties have a shared understanding of mm-hmm. what an agreement is. And then in my brain, it is uh, a contract's only as valid as how much both people have the same understanding of it, but two people can't have the exact same understanding of a thing because how do you know my green is your green or whatever? Exactly. And when I learned that or thought about it, I was like, comedy is a process of sharing, hoping that you could help the other person have a shared, the audience have a shared understanding of how you see a thing. You've only lived your life, you've only been essentially performing comedy. As this thing though you've you know you've done some stuff, stuff sl- separately mm-hmm. as partners who are identical twins do you feel like
3: how much do you feel like you have a meeting of minds over the art that you create i would say that 95 percent of our process is connected to us having a meeting of them right like Right. Like I would we, say we have a mutual uh, implied, uh, a mutually implied trust of one another in mm-hmm. terms of how we conceptualize our material, uh, and and yeah, I think that after a while, if you if you if you've been working with someone for ten years, and but living with someone for thirty three years, mm-hmm. then yeah, there is a meeting of the minds. In, with I wonder how much of that is like. Nature versus nurture, though, mm-hmm. like, is it because we've spent so much time together that we tend to come to an agreement or have a meeting of the minds on particular topics? Like, yeah, it would is be it... interesting if we were two, you know, we were separate entities who still share a similar uh, Brave, one. yeah, because it's yeah, like you yeah. have the same reference points, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's almost it's almost unfair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the perfect contract, yeah. We have the same information. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's a that's a great question. I, I would say yes, but I, I think you're. I wonder. I wonder if that's true for other duos who yeah, aren't yeah. privileged to have someone who looks exactly like them. But you see other writing partners, and I and I see how they interact with one another, mm-hmm. and it seems as if they've built up a level of you know of that kind of trust where they do have a meeting of the minds. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm watching Diallo and Bashir, and and just watching how they interact with one sure. another. Yeah,
2: yeah. We'll be back with more Lucas Brothers after this. Word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm.
1: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why Milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community-building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
2: We are back with the Lucas Brothers. Let's talk about philosophy even more and the idea of this joke. But for for context to those listening, uh, I know you majored in philosophy in college— But you've talked about how you've gotten into it again Mm -hmm. more recently. What was it? How did that sort of come about?
3: Well, uh, it was my disdain for Hollywood. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just the sort of uh, glib nature and superficial nature of the process. And I was like, I got to turn to something that I find to be a bit more substantive. And I started reading Bertrand Russell's A History of Western Philosophy and, I, I, and it sort of reinvigorated my passion for mm-hmm. uh, philosophy. It just keeps me grounded. Like, whenever I think that, oh, man, I just got this gig. I'm the greatest in the world. And then I remind myself that, oh, oh no, it's been done before. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to die someday. Mm-hmm. Or it's really not that relevant. What about the, 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 the eg- ontological nature of reality? <laughs> why, why, why the fuck are we here? You know, yeah. uh, start uh, you start asking yourself deeper questions. I mean... You know, because I think with philosophy, like what Kenny said, it just sort of keeps you grounded. It yeah. keeps me grounded for sure. I mean, ever since I've been studying it, I've, I've, it's allowed me to sort of uh, stay here, and but also my mind has been able to go elsewhere. Mm. So uh, that's why I appreciate it, and I think I don't know. It, I guess it was a reaction to Hollywood, but it was also just. We love, we love philosophy. Yeah. We, love, we love reading it. It's, it's just very entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these guys and these the girls. Stories, who, their yeah, stories, he, the context yeah. of where philosophy is developed and how their philosophies develop over time. I mean, it's it's fascinating. And It also has uh, huge implications on how we do comedy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very strong connection between philosophy and comedy. I mean, they both were born during uh you know ancient Greece mm-hmm. and and I think that there are some logical similarities between a joke and a syllogism and and I think that can uh Can you actually,
2: can you explain that I was going to ask you can you you on WTF you said comedy is a disruption of logic mm-hmm. and you also said a joke is a valid argument
3: and it both I I, I felt like I wanted to hear... I want I, I I, I don't think that a joke... So a syllogism, an Aristotelian yeah. syllogism yeah. would be premise, premise, conclusion. Mm-hmm. The conclusion follows from the premises that you set up. Sure. So if uh, an argument is both valid and sound, then the both premises would have to follow deductively to a true conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in stand-up and with jokes, you can have to seemingly true uh setups or a setup that's kind of true but the punchline tends to be you know a bit off kilter mm-hmm. thus making it invalid uh so that's when i say that uh a joke is a disruption of logic that's essentially what i'm saying and now and i'm, I'm referencing a particular type of yeah. joke there are other styles of yeah. jokes that mm-hmm. uh don't necessarily adhere to that rigid uh, uh formula but if you take it to its most uh, you know, basic structure, I I'd say there are a lot of s- similarities between the idea of a joke and uh logic. Uh also
2: in the I th- believe it's the WTF you said, uh one of you is a rationalist and one of you is an, <laughs> an empiricist. Uh which is which and, and what does that mean and how does that relate to
3: sort of the roles? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I think if I had to take a guess on how Kenny would answer this, he, mm. Kenny would say he's the rationalist and I'm the empiricist. And the empiricist, you know, was, you know the school of John Locke and David Hume and, mm-hmm. and what's the other guy? Uh, uh, Bentham. Bentham. I mean, these are guys who, who sort of put a lot of weight in experience going out into the world and and seeing and feeling and absorbing it, and then sort of uh, making your philosophy based on what you experience in life. Uh, it, it really infused in like science and experimentation and mm-hmm. experience. Whereas the rationalists, which were people like Kant and, and Spinoza and, Spinoza and Descartes, they they thought you could stay in a room and sort of just mentally figure figure shit out. You yeah, know, relying that on that, on that knowledge is already and knowledge it's is already, already innate. It, it, yeah. It's innate. It's, you just yeah, gotta pull yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and just it requires heavy thinking, and you can pull it out. So, and they cite mathematics mm-hmm. usually and logic. and logic. So, how does that then? Do you feel how does then take that next step of like how do you feel like that relates to the how you create or what you create? Hmm. I would say that you know, and I'm I'm guessing peop- other people would argue that too. That I you know I tend to go out more, put myself out there, experience the world a little bit more, Kenny. It's more he conceptualizes. He can mm. he can piece things together in his head and sort mm-hmm. of uh, visualize the whole piece. Whereas I I sort of have to to live a little bit more mm-hmm. to, in order for me to get my comedy uh to be where it is. So I think that that's how we do it. But that that was like an old way of existing. I think now we're we're both pretty. Yeah, I think we like to sort of shy away from the binary mm-hmm. and, and recognize yeah. mm-hmm. that. It's it's not either or. No, yeah. I think it's I think that that was the realization that we had. You know, one's not the empiricist and one's the rationalist. We're both sort of a little bit mm-hmm. of both, and we 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 sort of have to start seeing the world in a less binary way. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit in the the first half about
2: um, what it is about this quote that sort of summarizes a lot of what you're you're saying. Can you explain just sort of how you explored or sort of certain examples of that? I mean, like. Obviously, it's this stuff, this material, still being developed, but I think examples will be just sort of helpful, I imagine, to listeners who are trying to, uh, sure, what this means in sort of practice.
3: So we we say life's a bitch, and then you die. That's how we get high, and so what we that's our thesis. That's our thesis, and what we try to do, and I'm not exactly certain if we're successful. We'll find out soon. Is we try to examine the initial claim. Well is life a bitch and and what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And for us, we say life is a bitch because we grew up poor. We had an abusive stepfather. We got bullied. uh, We just lost our friend. We have PTSD, PTSD, we We had a drug addiction, drug addiction. We, We drink a lot and, and life on, on the surface seems like it's a bitch. Uh, And so that's how we try to unpack it in the special. Mm -hmm. Some may disagree. You know, I'm sure Will Smith doesn't think his life is a bitch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He has a pretty great life. So (laughs) I don't know if our conclusion would necessarily follow uh, if in the hands of, you know, someone who probably thinks life isn't that bad. Yeah. So if life is a bitch, then the conclusion is death right like yeah. it's, it's either you kill yourself or you decide to get high and that's sort of what we're trying to understand we're trying to understand the logic of that statement uh and we're trying to see if our our initial uh premise is valid yeah what made you want to do you know it's
2: especially in the united states it's not common for people to do shows like opposed to doing hours like to do these sort of composed things it's Mm. it feels like mike barbiglia was fighting a good fight for a really long time i think nanette will make it more popular i think just generally but what for you guys were like this is what we are as comedians opposed to all right there'll be some stuff about dating there'll be Mm -hmm. some stuff about it's
3: interesting that you mentioned (laughs) mike barbiglia uh we had an opportunity to open for mike barbiglia uh last year and we you know we were conceptualizing this piece but Mm -hmm. we weren't sure we weren't sure how to take to 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 do it you know because it's a tough thing to do to try to to tell a full story yeah uh so having an opportunity to see the master up close and personal (laughs) was 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 what i think really really pushed it into high gear it was like oh you have to really really conceptualize the whole piece that's right not just like oh i want to tell a story about death you have to say okay so what's the story about death that you want to tell Mm -hmm. and what are the philosophical you have to approach it like a movie yeah what are the philosophical stakes what are the emotional stakes yeah What's the midpoint? What's the conclusion? And he yeah. and how he did it was mind blowing. Just seeing oh, yeah. how I mean, seeing it piece by piece by piece, and then to finally see it on Broadway, I was like, oh yeah, that's how you got to do it.
2: You don't have to sort of do a bunch of the jokes, but sort of how does how does one actually even do it? Like, in so much as stand up is a form in which people either you know they bring up some sort of theme, they express it, or here's a story that happened. What what does it look like in practice?
3: So my brother and I will sit for a few hours sort of conceptualizing and constructing the order of our set, and then we'll branch off and write a fairly detailed outline, roughly 10 to 15, perhaps 20 pages of how we believe the story should flow with Mm -hmm. exposition and Uh, indications of where we might want to use like uh, charts or graphs or whatever and then uh, from there once we believe that the outline is uh, sufficient sufficient, we'll transition over to script we'll divide it where i'll do one half he'll do the other half and then we swap i edit the half that he wrote he edits Mm -hmm. the half that i wrote and then we you know read it aloud just to see if it coheres and then we'll go on stage and fuck it all up. Yeah. So, the specific quote, I was,
2: I, to prepare, I listened to over and over again just the intro to mm-hmm. uh, an, an intro to uh, Western philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, this will, I, this will understand. And um, I think will an intro does a decent job of like, this is the theme of the book you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the quote that sort of reminded me most, or it just I was thinking about is, um, Uncertainty in the presence of vivid hopes and fears is painful, but most must be endured if we wish must be endured if we wish to live without the support hmm. of comforting fairy tales, which is his way of being like religion is bad. Yeah, you were both raised, I believe, religious mm-hmm. and that was awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, how much of this show a rejection and a reexamination of that part of it, a um, a reaction to being
3: raised that mm. way. Yeah, I mean, our, our philosophical journey certainly started with the rejection of Christianity and of God and of the way our mom wanted us to be and uh we started to 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 firmly embrace uh a more existential uh philosophy which uh moved us away from from the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And in this uh in our special we we examine that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the special we like to track the transition from sort of forced spiritualism mm-hmm. by way of organized religion to uh, a freer form of spiritualism, divorced from organized religion. But in that journey, we we discuss our materialism, mm-hmm. our nihilism, our atheism, our atheism. Uh, these are things that sort of happen as a result of moving away from god mm-hmm. moving away from you know some sort of spiritual connection to and sort of nature. Uh, you know focusing more on the individual and those sort of philosophies which i think can lead you astray mm-hmm. if you I mean if you divorce yourself from the spiritual and, and put it all on yourself yeah uh that burden i think is just too heavy overwhelming burden, yeah too heavy of a burden for humans to handle uh so we hope that like we've rediscovered uh uh our love for for god and uh it's just a different god a, yeah a different god a different definition of what god a different is. definition of what god can be but certainly something higher than us higher than the individual
2: you know a, a lot of this is you know it's a, it's a, the the existentialist question of um meaning and such like that and um you know existentialism especially in art became particularly popular after World War II. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I think both World Wars sort of famously left people being like, well, this is a meaningless existence. Mm. Like, how can these things happen? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And both for you, but also it feels like there is more existentialist art in the last 10 years or five years than I felt like before that. Do Mm. you feel like there's – You know what do you think that might be? Do you think there were traumatic events, and also what do you think makes sense for that for you guys personally? And are
3: are you referring to uh, the movements and progress made by comedians who happen to be African American, or? Are you saying that you see this across the board? I'm trying
2: to th- it, it's hard because I, I,
3: the, the example I always think of is Atlanta, but there's mm-hmm. probably
2: other examples. But Atlanta I was like, this is yeah. an example of, like, this the is excellent. Ex- sure. ex- but, yeah. yeah. but
3: also, Eric Andre, but also, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say 9 11 was probably the event that yeah. sort of pushed us all to like question whether or not there is a God because it was just so visceral. To mm-hmm. See yeah. and they played it repeatedly repeatedly it was, and we we're all you know we we're all youngins i mean to see something like that i mean even like world war ii was bad but we were able to not see that shit. yeah, yeah. to <laughs> see war really to see war up close and personal uh that'll shake yeah. anyone to their core yeah. yeah and i think that that's had a deep impact on a lot of artists but also the rise of trump i mean i think that that has shaked a lot of people
2: do you guys read like and obviously you read a lot of philosophers, do you read certain psychologists, like psychoanalysts' theory as much? I like to
3: read, uh, he's also a philosopher as well, but William James, William James, mm-hmm. uh, the founder, I guess the father of modern psychology, I, I in think. America. In America. In America. I read him a lot, and I really appreciate his writings, especially uh, The Will to Believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, very good essay. There's,
2: um, Do you know this guy Otto Ronk? he's a he's freud's second it, mm. he's not super famous. he's freud's like right hand man but he specifically worked with a lot of artists like mm. he was henry miller's therapist and yeah. i am a oh, wow. therapist and a lot of his writing is specifically about the relationship to psychotherapy and art and the psychology of artists but there are sort of two things that preparing for this that jumped out at me in this sort of nas quote and one he has an idea that says that, like the easiest way to um avoid sort of fears of death and find meaning in life is religion. is the easiest hmm. way if you can believe in it. Mm-hmm. Do it because it is. It gives you an answer and it's nice. But the otherwise, the people that are best prepared for it are artists because mm-hmm. it's a job of creating mm-hmm. worlds and creating meaning. The second thing that he that he said that I think you'll respond to is sort of the only cure for neurosis. Sort of the question, the having a questioning mind is the need for legitimate foolishness. Hmm. And essentially needing to create disruptions because like it is a, there is, it's almost like there's a meaningless world and the way to respond to it is not necessarily to always have put more meaning onto it. Mm -hmm. Do these ideas resonate with you?
3: No, I think they resonate 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that at least within our next special, I mean, we are trying to sort of reestablish our, our our love for for god and i and i think that that does help people cope with the 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 coldness of the world i mean just it's like a blanket yeah. Uh, and you know whether or not this blanket is real or fake i don't know but it does help me get through the day so you know, like yeah. do we need more serious stuff <laughs> i mean like isn't existence already like the worst mm-hmm. you know you, you're gonna die someday and everybody <laughs> you know is going even to if die you <laughs> live forever everyone else around you is going to die so it's like that burden of existence should uh, encourage comedians to be more I don't want to say light I think you I think there's a responsibility on part of some comedians to address the political and and, and, and do it in whichever way they feel fit but, for those comedians who may not necessarily be inclined to do politics, why not keep it light? You know mm-hmm. why not Just give the people what they give want the you people, you know <laughs> what they is want. already tough, so give them, give them some popcorn, if yeah, they want some popcorn I mean, it's like the idea is like comedy is service, yeah, like you know, yeah, we got our own existential woes, and we gotta unpack our our psychological issues and whatever, but it's like at the end of the day. We're serving others, you know, we're also helping other people get through mm-hmm. the day. And I'm starting to see it more like that now. Like it's not about me so much as it's about mm-hmm. the people who are, who are working yeah. working nine to fives and, and they don't have an out a creative outlet to tell jokes. So mm-hmm. they come to us to laugh. And it's like if you see it like that and it's you divorce it from the money and the fame and all that nonsense and it, and you see it just as service, I think it it, it does make it a more service Why do you divorce thing. it from the I mean, not you can't divorce it entirely. I'm yeah. saying just like divorce your reasons for what you're doing it for. Hmm. You know what I mean? For me, at least, it, it can't be about the money and the fame. It can't be about that shit. I mean, yeah, because that's just not sustainable. I and, agree, and, and I think it's bad for the soul.
2: Yeah. Sort of beyond it. What do you want the audience to get from this? And sort of, and sort of consciousness. I guess the sort of co- the the universal consciousness in general. What do you want? What is your grand ambitions of this piece or sort of your work in general?
3: Well, I I hope that uh, in listening to the set that, you know, the audience recognize that, you know, we are struggling with these existential issues and we are trying to make them humorous and uh, that comedians are capable and do change. And that the gimmick that you may believe is, you know, who they are, the end-all be-all, that may not necessarily be the case. I I want the audience to recognize that comedians are open, capable of change, and receptive mm-hmm. to change. And not all comedians, but some. And that, yeah, we are grappling with some some existential issues about life and death, I mean um death is real it's it's final and it's something that we've grappled with since we've been here you know like i've always had these thoughts and and you know it you never know you know you never know wh- what you're going to do you never know how you're going to 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 approach life so yeah. i i hope that like if a person is struggling with questions of life and death and that they watch our thing, and they see like, yeah, there there are ways to. I'm to not f- gonna die now. No, no, not that I'm not gonna <laughs> that die. You did now. you cure no, death. No, no, no they <laughs> definitely can't cure death. Suicide I mean. hotline. <laughs> Suicide hotline. Lucas call Spurs people. Call therapists. Going, yeah, yeah. Do what you got to do. But for people who who are struggling with some of the questions that we're struggling with, mm-hmm. we hope that like, you know, that they, they, they're taking it seriously and that they they are trying to figure out ways to to to, to answer them. And mm. and it's not always just about killing yourself sometimes it's That's just right. about you know creating and and, and embracing your family and, and loving life as it is it's interesting because it's like instead of sort of being like oh we
2: will give them answers you're like we'll give you a i have no answers sort of like <laughs> a, a model for yeah. looking for yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 just yeah. a
3: model for looking like like the, 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 we have no answers because there may not be a clean answer uh but there are i think ways to Appropriately ask the questions, yeah, and and hopefully we can help people do that.
2: Yeah. Do you know the British philosopher Derek Parfit or Parfait? Or mm-hmm. Parf- mm-hmm. Um, I don't know him very well, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. But there was a New Yorker profile of him that I heard about because Mike Scher read it, and it helped him inspire to do the Good Place. Mm-hmm. The profile is really about he wanted to write a book because he had all these fears about death, mm. and. What he landed on and brought found comfort is that there's less distinction between people than we think there is. Sure. You know, he writes there's a, there's a difference between my life and the life of other peoples, but that difference is less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit Buddhist, but you know, saying like, and I, I think there's a lot in sort of the goal of trying to understand that, sort mm. of become as much peace, being like we are part of a consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you talk about it, and it feels like this is an idea that might come natural to you, but. I think you, as identical twins, as these people that have this meeting of minds, are as almost as close as people have to being like, "This is one." Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. so one where two people and <laughs> yeah. one um, So all that to say, does do you, you know, you are doing this material, and anyone could hypothetically talk about anything. But why do you feel like you're uniquely qualified to do material around these things?
3: Uh, well, the twin stuff, obviously, because we're <laughs> twins. <laughs> You know the black stuff. We're black. I mean, that's a. I I hate I hate the answers that I'm giving you, but <laughs> no. I, I mean I I mean I think that when two people go through a similar a similar hardship, uh, it just gives more credence to to what a person is saying when you have two people who hmm. have actually experienced the same hardship. You know what I mean? So sure. if I if I get on stage and talk about you know being poor and black and yada, yada, yada. It's like, okay, another guy be yeah, yeah, being yeah, poor. Yeah. But then when another nigga gets on stage <laughs> and we're together talking about this. Oh, it's funny now. Shit. <laughs> oh, shit, now it's it's Not... two of them living the same <laughs> broke, poor life. <laughs> it's just a little bit more comedic. So yeah, was like, yeah. I think that it was like this gimmick sort of invites, it's more inviting for people. Yeah. And so they can, they're can they willing to hear all this hard shit because it's like it's this silly gimmick that mm. people can just like, oh, it's just two twins who look the same. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I don't know if that makes us qualified, but it, it certainly does allow for us to talk about darker stuff yeah, uh, in a more lighthearted way, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I answered the question, but maybe I didn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think you did because I the think question I was... What makes us qualified to address the topics that we address? Today. I don't know what makes us qualified to address the topics that we address. Because I no, mean- one, no one's told us we can't. <laughs> 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 I would say that's the answer. Was I trying Until to someone it? comes up to me and says, hey, y'all motherfuckers can't talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, well, look, we're trying to unpack some shit yeah. in our, and that happen, happened in our lives. And it just so happens that it covers... A lot of different things i don't know if we're, we're certainly not qualified to talk about philosophy at the highest level no. but it's something that we can joke about in uh our set yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works for one or two punchlines. by that point you're like all right we're losing i don't, I don't think i can write a thesis paper on this shit, yeah, you know, yeah and it i don't know i
2: think there is i can't remember there's a quote from that intro <laughs> to that book there's something like just the thinking of philosophy makes you a philosopher in some way oh yeah, yeah. So like in many of them you're like we we decided to care about this. Yeah. And so we're
3: we got to be it. Yeah, I mean I mean that that's the the short answer. It's like I love philosophy. I love philosophizing. I don't know if that makes me qualified to talk about philosophy, nope. but I certainly <laughs> certainly love it and and I I love having the outlet to talk about it in such a fucking weird funny way. It's fun. Yeah, like we had aspirations of uh, getting a PhD and Going to Princeton and becoming doctors and teaching, and I'm like, man, I would have, I would have regretted that decision because in stand up you get to travel across the, the globe and yeah. yeah, and spew whatever nonsense <laughs> that's in your head. And obviously every, and I don't want to say every comic approaches their act with intention, but I know we do for a fact, and I, I it feels sort of refreshing to be able to mention Bertrand Russell in my set or <laughs> are, 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 are Hume or Aristotle and, yeah. and people were like
0: why these, these guys talking are about weird, him? man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's great. It just gives us a little bit more material, you know? and yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of philosophers to cover. like, yeah, I, like I think hours of material, right? Like, I think I think you could do hours. I a whole think hour Socrates. <laughs> I think Socrates was the first nigga. Yeah, he was. Absolutely, I think, I we think think said he was. He was on, the, uh, uh, on Homes Oh shit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Socrates is the first nigga. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to, I want to work it into a bit, but I, I, I truly believe it. He abandoned his kids. He drank wine, and all he did was sit around with his homies and talked about nonsense that was proven to be wrong. So I'm like, that's, uh, that's, and, some, he's the father. and, and, and he's, he got tried unjust and, <laughs> <laughs> and executed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, if that's some nigga shit. <laughs> he's the father of, uh. And he's father of Western philosophy.
2: <laughs> that sound means it's time for our final segment. It's a, a laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's a comedy, it's a laughing round. Do either of you, both of you, have a favorite joke joke, like a street joke?
3: Well, I've been listening to a lot of Red Fox, and uh, he says some things that, I mean, it, you know, it's not the most clever thing, but he did this one joke where he was like, uh, I don't know if this is my favorite joke, but he said uh, he saw these two dudes in the audience, and one dude had a bald head, and the other guy had a bald head, and he said, if these two dudes put their heads together, they'll make an ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is... Uh, this is he a- called them ass head? <laughs> <laughs> this is another Red Fox joke, uh... <laughs>
3: So he was talking about race relations in a Red Fox way, and there was a black mayor, and LBJ, London Banks Johnson. They were at a bathroom, at a stall, and LBJ looks down into the uh, uh, stall of uh, Carl, Stokes. Carl Stokes. And then LBJ asks Carl Stokes, oh, man, how'd you get that? Referring to his penis. And then Carl Stokes says, "Oh, before I have sex, I I, I tap my penis on the bedpost three times. <laughs> and then uh, LBJ was like, "Well, oh, God, I'll be damned. So he goes home uh, to Lady Bird, to Lady Bird <laughs> and he taps his uh, penis on uh, the bedpost three times and then Lady Bird said, is that you, Carl Stokes? <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the greatest jokes. I listen to it repeatedly because it's brilliant. Uh, it's perfect. It's a perfect Fucking joke. Red Fox, man. You got to wash your ass. I think that's the greatest album the greatest uh, stand-up album ever can you do an impression of the other
2: one <laughs> can each you do an impression can <laughs> keith do kenny and kenny can do keith oh you want me to do kenny
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> shit that's a. all right uh let me do kenny so um so life's a bitch and then you die that's why we <laughs> how, do you, how do i do kenny i don't uh, do, do keith uh I don't know, man. I just don't care about anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Whatever, dude. Like, just get stoned, man. I, I don't talk like that. <laughs> I certainly don't talk I'm like that. I'm doing an impression. That's a terrible impression of me, man. I have more energy than I, I, I just know, smoke I marijuana. Know, I, I, mean, I know. smoke a lot. You smoke a lot, smoke a lot of weed. I smoke a lot of weed. I smoke way more weed than I But I think smoking <laughs> weed gets you closer to God, man. You're I that's think It's a it theory. Gets I think it gets you closer to the universe. Is there
2: a joke or a premise or something that uh, of another community that you wish you could steal in a way that Ooh. it will n- no one will know In so much- it never even exists in the other person's act it's like you we're in another dimension you yeah. get, everything's exactly the same except for this joke is your guy's joke
3: Clark uh, oh yeah he yeah, has uh, this Dr. King joke Dr. King joke like Martin Luther Clark King Jones. Clark Jones like he says Martin Luther King had to be a pastor because could you imagine if he worked at like fast food or, <laughs> yeah like working had the same he had the same voice <laughs> 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 it's so That's great. A brilliant it's joke. a brilliant
2: joke. That's brilliant. If you guys could be in a tag team wrestling match against any two wrestlers, they could be a tag team existing, or you could assemble them to be a. Who would it
3: be? Hmm. Uh, Bret Hart and Shawn, Hart. Shawn Michaels. Oh, you would want to fight them. I want to fight Bret Hart. I want to fight Bret Hart and, and and Hart Foundation. Hart Foundation. Yeah. yeah. So you would want to do uh, Anvil. Yeah. And Bret. Yeah. Or Bret and Owen. Bret and Owen. Bret and Owen. Brett, I want no no to fight Brett. No and <laughs> one. I think that would be a great technical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be awesome. That would be great to fight Brett. No yeah, one. You mentioned briefly. So, uh, what uh, do?
2: You, what is your favorite of Kevin Barnett's jokes? So, and I guess I'll mention earlier, but uh, Kevin, your friend who you've known for forever, who you always mm-hmm. worked with, um, passed away recently, yes. um, and you did a tribute show mm-hmm. at the Bell House, which um, I'll say is probably one. Probably the best comedy show I've ever been to. Oh man! Not. It's just like as an experience. I was like, yeah, yeah. and I've been to more than most. I was like, this <laughs> is a, this is really something.
3: Oh man! Th- yeah, I, I you know it it was one of those things where if it, it did feel like a, it felt religious, it felt yeah. like if it, it felt like when I was back at church, it was like I've never seen people cry and laugh yeah at the same time, and it, it was it was very it was, cathartic. It was cathartic to 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 have experience with that group of people and uh, my favorite Kevin joke <sighs> well this is my favorite Kevin sketch I have some jokes of this too but my favorite Kevin sketch where I thought we got the full Kevin <laughs> was uh it was a sketch where it was Laurel and Jennifer and they were working at this uh they were working at this strange place mm-hmm. and they were just having like this weird conversation and then Jim burped and Kevin ran out there and stabbed Rail to death, and then he gave like this speech about how you couldn't, you no one could burp, and then they showed the sign of no burping, and it was this super absurd sketch that uh, Jermaine wrote. Yeah. But you saw like Kevin at his like he he ran out there, he was screaming, he was at his loudest, then he got real charming. And I was like, that was Kevin, man. He was like a ball of energy, but he was able to just like yeah. make it so charming, and, yeah. and he had us all laughing. And, and yeah, yeah, that's I watch that sketch all the time. Yeah. Just like it's just you really see like Kevin at his highest. Because people see him at, thought he was just his writer. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, he was a dope writer. Don't get me wrong, he was one of the best writers, but he was also a great actor. Yeah, yeah. like he was be- he was one of the top actors on the show, and and he was just able to like. And he was also a brilliant comedian, and I I, I love the Black Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that's his probably signature. one of his most his signature bit. But it's it's just quintessential Kevin, man. Like you get the anxiety, you get the you get the cleverness, you get the you get the setup, uh, you get the common detail, you get you get the subtle commentary on race relations, but in such a you know. But then uh, it's how he tells the story, yeah. Right? Like you know, you, you no one can tell a Kevin Barnett joke because he doesn't just tell jokes; he tells stories. Yeah, yeah. and 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 you can't tell it like he tells it because he he added. He's the not pain. a setup punch guy. No, no, man. no. no. He's, it, it was it was masterful to watch him. Delve into stories and and, and with the details yeah. and his delivery and all of it. Was and just... the thing is, like how he told it on stage was how he told it off stage. Yeah. How he told a story yeah. on stage yeah. was exactly was the exact how, same way. So when people saw him tell a story, like oh, this is how he tells stories yeah. all the time, and 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 yeah, it was just a fucking honor and privilege to be able to to hear hear him tell his. His infinitely brilliant stories, and yeah. uh, it's gonna be one of the things that's, that, that I, I miss the most. Yeah, that's what's gonna be missed the most. I mean, like he was just a a fucking dynamic dude. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff's been uh weird for me lately. I all of a sudden realized the other day that I wasn't who I thought I was. None of my dreams had come true. I went to this costume party and I realized that being black severely limits your costume options. Like, just for once, I want to be able to go to a costume party dressed as Wolverine and not black Wolverine. Tired of this, man. That happened this past Halloween. I was all excited. I'm like, yo, I'm about to dress as Wolverine. I'm gonna go to this costume shop, get these claws. It's gonna be so freaking cool. I get to the costume shop. I get to where the claws are at and the claws got white knuckles on them for no reason. I was faced with the choice of either black facing these knuckles or going the same costume I was like, oh, as every year. Blade. Now, I don't even like Blade, but this is real life. There's no time for crying.
2: That's it for another episode of Good One. You can see Judas and the Black Messiah in theaters and HBO Max on February 12th. Follow the Lucas Brothers on Twitter at LucasBros and on Instagram at TheLucasBros. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Gautam from did our theme song. Rate our review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to GoodOnePodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at GoodOnePodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Fox, And if you haven't, please check out my new Patreon podcast, The Specials. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Tony Woods.
1: So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it.